This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our first reading is from Psalm 119, verses 17 to 32. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 493, 493. Deal bountifully with your servant, so I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes, so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I live as an alien in the land. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for ordinances at all time. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me their scorn and contempt, for I have kept your decrees. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your decrees are my delight, they are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust, revive me according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous words. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your ordinance before me. I cling to your decrees, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I run the way of your commandments, for you enlarge my understanding. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 21. At the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you keep that passage open in front of you, we'll be looking at that from Luke's Gospel. I've been going through a series of passages from Luke's Gospel from chapter 10, from chapter 9, beginning at the end of chapter 9. We're going to head off into chapter 11 just before Easter, and uh, that's our passage for today. But let's pray and ask for God's help as we seek to understand him. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we do ask for your 
Spirit, to be with us today as we seek to know you. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts and give us openness of heart that we might know you. And in Jesus' name we ask, Amen. Now, Nobel Prize-winning physicist Steven Weinberg once said, the more we learn about the universe, the more we realise how pointless it is. We've become used to hearing such totalising statements about the meaning of everything from those who've ascended to the pinnacle of the sciences. And in many ways, I have to admit, they've earned the right, haven't they? They've earned the right. The nerds may have been, pardon me if you're a nerd, the nerds have been, were, were bullied at school perhaps, but they've ultimately triumphed. Science has been remarkably successful in explaining the world in which we live, reducing our suffering and increasing our quality of life. Who could deny that? And you and I trust it for the most part. We don't go to the witch doctor we go to the oncologist. We, might, we rightly ridicule anti-vaxxers and flat earthers for their dangerous denials of reality. We ask engineers rather than English teachers to design and construct bridges and aeroplanes. It's the astronomer and not the astrologer who can tell us about the movement of the stars. But this extraordinary success has meant that we've also accepted by and large, the popular story that the rise of science means the demise of God. It's no accident that the most famous atheists of our day are not philosophers, but scientists. Professor Richard Dawkins of Oxford University, whose new book is called Outgrowing God, said once, gods are fragile things. They may be killed by a whiff of science or a dose of common sense as if gods are like cockroaches we may dispose of. For his part, Cambridge's Professor Stephen Hawking said a little bit more gently, God may exist, but science can explain the universe without the need for a creator. To use Dawkins' own term, the triumph of science over God has been, become something of a cultural meme. Science and scientists know so many things and can do so many things that we and they assume that they must know everything. Now, as it happens, I think the philosophical arguments for the existence of God, so derided and dismissed by some of those new atheists I've been speaking of, are very strong. Though I admit I do start with a strong prejudice in favour of God's existence. But I also say that reading, it's very evident from reading the books of atheists like Dawkins and Sam Harris, that though they are very clever in their fields, they are amateurs when it comes to thinking about God. Their books are filled with factual errors and straw man arguments that anyone who knows anything about the subject can see through in an instant. Dawkins even famously cited as an authority trying to suggest that Jesus perhaps never even existed, he cited as his footnote for this a professor, sure, but he was a professor of German, not really expert in the field of Jesus' studies. And his recent book shows a Wikipedia-level knowledge of ancient Near Eastern history. These are not humble books by humble men. They confuse deep learning about one thing with deep knowledge about everything. But they are symptomatic of a culture that does the same. 
we are enthralled by our own intelligence. And when we apply that to God, we either decide that God does not exist or we shape God according to our own preferences because we think we're clever enough to do that. Now, as we will see today, we need to see that this is not a problem of lack of intelligence. Lack of intelligence isn't the issue here. Failure to know the true God and to know him truly is not a matter of the intellect. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus calls people to be his followers. That's what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. He calls them to be not his fans, but his followers. And he sends his followers out. He calls them in to send them out as his heralds so that they can tell of the proclaim the kingdom of God. And in Luke's gospel, we heard that some accepted that message when the disciples went out and told of the kingdom of God and some rejected it. The disciples, for their part, returned to Jesus astounded that these simple men that they were had had, there was a powerful response to what they had preached. They were amazed at its success and the spiritual power of this proclamation of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus. And in today's passage, we overhear a prayer from Jesus which explains something crucial about this message. It tells us, that the knowledge of the God of Jesus Christ is not discovered, but it's revealed by him. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is not discovered, but it's revealed by him. That's what Jesus explains. If you have a look at verse 21, he says there, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus not only tells us how God can be known, he's rejoicing in it. Why is it that it makes him so happy? Children get the gospel, he says, and yet professors deny it. And this is good news. We would normally think the opposite, wouldn't we? We'd normally think, well, if children know it and professors deny it, then we'll go with the professors. That's our human hierarchy of knowing things. We put the wise and the intelligent and the qualified at the top, and mostly, with respect to children, I'm sorry, but we put them down the bottom of knowing stuff, don't we? They've got so much to learn. But God flips that because of the kind of God he is. If knowing God was a matter of intelligence then only the smart would know God. Knowing God would be like a tricky intellectual problem that we need to work out. But the reason we don't know God is not intellectual. It's spiritual. We don't know him because of our refusal to know him. We are proud. And as C.S. Lewis says, pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. No wonder then that God makes himself known most clearly to those who are least affected by pride, to children, to the disabled, to the poor, and to the dying. I've sat with people with dementia who've got no mind left to speak of, and yet who cannot and do not forget that God loves them. I've been spiritually rebuked with profundity, with huge insight, by a person with mental disabilities. I've taught children 
from whom I've learnt a great deal about the Father in heaven. I've also seen firsthand the worst kinds of spiritual pride amongst those who are in love with their own intellects. Internationally renowned scholars who are deeply repugnant people. People studying theology even, studying to be theologians for the sake of worldly ambition. How weird is that? And those for whom the study of God is the business of telling God who he is. But God is not a specimen to be captured and studied or an equation to be solved or a theory to be promulgated. I've heard people say that Christianity, that Christianity is fading in the West. Uh, It's because we've become more rational as a society and we're growing, uh, Christianity is growing only in poorly educated and superstitious societies, such as in South America and Asia and Africa. And yet I think there's an alternative reading of this, which is a little bit less proud. God has concealed himself in the West because of our spiritual pride and revealed himself to those whom we've long treated with contempt so as to humble us. The faith of the slave masters has become the faith of those who once were slaves. The Lord of the rulers is now the Lord of the ruled. The gracious God reveals himself to those who are spiritually receptive in their humility. They know that they are not God. It's the most profound truth you could probably ever learn. The basis of everything, knowing that you are not God. The disciples of Jesus are not the elite, or at least if they are the elite, it doesn't make them the disciples of Jesus. If they're the disciples of Jesus and it happens that they are the elite, they're among the elite in society, it is despite the fact that they are so successful rather than because of it. The gospel has cut through their pride. Now you might be saying, Are you saying, Michael, that Christianity is actually sort of anti-intellectual and anti-rational? Are you buying into a sort of anti-science thing, a kind of conspiracy theory? Uh, The whole of human knowledge is a conspiracy and we should not regard any of it. And the short answer to this is no, not at all. That would not fit with the Bible's testimony at all about the importance of our study of the world that God gave us the importance of us seeking wisdom in the world, seeking to to look to those who know, who've actually done the work to answer the difficult questions that, that face us. We hear from the Bible that God is wise and fills the world with his wisdom and invites us to discover it. But it's a powerful reminder that great intelligence and learning, and that's in comparative terms many of us here, can blind us to the truth. But how can God reveal himself then? How does he do it? Where can I see him? Well, he reveals himself in Jesus. And that's what Jesus explains in verse 22. He says there, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Son and the Father know each other intimately. It's a a really striking thing about these names that we find in God, Son and Father, isn't it? They're, They're intimate family names. It tells you something about their relationship. It tells you something about God that 
there's this unique and exclusive relationship in God. And that means that in the terms of knowing God, Jesus has exclusive rights. Jesus knows God in a way that no one can. The Son knows the Father. Not just better than anyone, but exclusively. And so he can introduce you to the Father so that you too know him. He has God's contact details. He knows where God is to be found. He knows how God speaks and where God speaks to us. And he wants us to know God, not not just to know about him, not to go to God's Wikipedia page, but to know him, personally to know him. Jesus gives his disciples a personal welcome into relationship with the Father, not on the basis of who's the smartest, but on the basis of his gracious choice. And this tells us what knowing God is all about. It's a different model of knowing. God is not the deduction of the philosophers or the inference from some laboratory experiment. God is the Father and the Son, and these are the names of, of persons. So to know God is not to know him in abstract, like you might know your PIN number, although I hope I haven't made you now worry that you don't know your PIN number. If you could shout it out to me a little bit later, I'd be delighted. To know God is to be known by him. It's to know a who and not a what. When you get to know a person, you seek to know them as they present themselves, not by making up things about them. Actually, we, we find the idea that you know, you'd meet someone and then you tell them who they are kind of offensive. We listen to them as they reveal themselves to really get to know them. We don't tell someone who they are. We listen to them. And that's really important when it comes to God, to know God. Come to where God says he will make himself known. Come to where he will disclose himself, where he will reveal himself. Don't go somewhere else. The Bible tells us that God reveals himself where? In Jesus. John, the gospel writer, says in his gospel, no one has ever seen God. But God, the only Son, who is by the Father's side, has made him known. It's exactly this thought that we read here in Luke's gospel, isn't it? You can't calculate your way or work your way to God, but you can come to where he has revealed himself. You can come to the Son. And that means Jesus' disciples are blessed. That's the the third point of this little passage. Jesus turns from his prayer, his ecstatic prayer to the Father, turns to his disciples in private and says to them, this raging bunch of, this ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and men and women who've been known as sinners. And he says, Blessed are the eyes who see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Disciples of Jesus are witnesses to things that kings and prophets longed to see. They are witnesses to the kingdom of God. They've seen how God will fulfill his promises made of long, long ago. Oh, back in the past, the prophets and the kings knew that it was coming. But they hadn't seen the reality, the flesh and blood reality. They did not know what God would do to rescue his people, to make his world good again, to restore all things. But the disciples of Jesus 
not history's big people, but its little people, have the extraordinary privilege and blessing of seeing and hearing God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus, which is so simple and clear that a four-year-old can understand it and even teach it to a three-year-old, is a priceless treasure often concealed from professors. So the question for a disciple of Jesus is, do you realise what you know? Do you know what you know? Do you realise that what you have in the simple words, Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one, is Lord, in that, those simple words, do you realise how precious and priceless that is? On the one hand, you have the most profound and powerful truth there's ever been, something that's mysterious to the intelligent, and yet you also know something that a child can know. If it's a secret... If it's not more widely known, it's only because our pride prevents us from seeing it. The world is not, I'm sorry to say, Professor Weinberg, pointless. The world points to Jesus Christ. If you really know what you know, what you have in Jesus Christ, then do you seek to know it as well as you can? To come humbly to Jesus as his disciple, his student, the word just means student, and to seek the knowledge that will transform you. The follower of Jesus Christ needs to pursue a childlike knowledge of God, to sit at Jesus' feet, because he alone can introduce us to the one true God who made us and who truly loves us. We humbly submit to be transformed by him as we learn, not keeping our arrogant, critical distance, but humbly immersing ourselves in him, hungry to know him more deeply. And that's why here at St. Mark's, and I hope at every church that wants to know Jesus better, the Bible, the book that testifies to Jesus, that teaches us about him, is utterly central to everything we do. We want to be transformed by God's grace. This is how. This is how God will speak to us, will show us himself in Jesus. It's so central to all we do. This beautiful building is built as a vehicle for hearing the word of God. The music we sing is a response to and teaches us of God's word. Our orders of service, our stained glass, all our fellowshipping and activities are designed to open us up as the disciples of Christ to humbly listen to the powerful voice of God, the extraordinary voice of God as it speaks that powerful word of the kingdom of God, that word that is life itself, its liberation and new life and hope so that it can break us, mould us, challenge us, and direct us. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you own a Bible? Is the Bible part of your weekly routine? Is it part of your life? Do you own your own Bible? Is it a Bible that's really grandma's Bible that weighs about seven kilos? Some people do say, yeah, I own a Bible. I'll just blow the dust off it, and I can see granny's signature in it. Do you own a Bible that you can read? If you'd like to own a Bible that you can read in modern English, then it might be a great day today if you, if you use those connect cards, those welcome cards, you could sign there and say, look, I'd love to have help in finding a, a, a Bible that I can actually read so that I can be 
a disciple of Jesus who with childlike humility listens to him and seeks to know God. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.